0: Give me, what's your favorite Genesis song?
1: Um, You're No Son Of Mine, you know that one?
0: No, this is pretty good though.
1: Da, 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 da. yeah.
0: This is a good song.
1: Alright, should we do this? Let's
0: do this. Enough of that. Um.
1: <clears throat> okay, so, uh,
0: format, uh, have you got
1: any news just in? Yeah, I got I got. One plus the elderberries thing, which i do. And then we'll talk alternative schooling. Schooling. All right. Um, let's get back into Is there alternative shooling? <laughs>
0: alternative shooling? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's not laugh too much. i going to use that.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, look, whatever you um, Look, let me do the intro, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Jeremy's Eye, and this is an evidence-based podcast on science, research, and members of the band Genesis. Yeah. With me, Justin Collins. <laughs> and
0: me, Justin Gabriel. <laughs> I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our Anagram game.
1: We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person.
0: Like, uh, like, 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 now, Can you name me one other member of Genesis? <laughs> Do you need to? <laughs>
1: okay, so today we're going to be looking at uh, alternative schooling. And this comes up uh, basically because some of our listeners might know uh, that I'm becoming a high school teacher. And we've had some exposure to some alternative schools, like a Montessori School here in Sydney.
0: Cory, Bory, Montessori. Very good. <laughs> That may be many people's only uh, exposure to the word Montessori. Through the Simpsons? Yeah. Yeah,
1: very good. Uh, Well, we're going to be exploring whether there's any scientific evidence that Montessori, Steiner, Waldorf, all those kinds of alternative schools Uh uh, actually have any benefit to to kids long term. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll investigate some of the scientific literature that is out there. And uh, yeah, maybe also some other issues about demographics of people that go to these schools as well it's kind of a
0: now if we're going to get a little bit meta are we just going to be sort of didactic lecturing this information or will this be what form of education are we going to be <laughs> well this is going to be operating uh, here this are is we- going to be
1: listener-based education okay so this
0: is not going to be so- like participation based at all
1: no no well we have to you- get we have to get participation from our listeners to know more about them and to learn about what they right. need from this podcast It's not just going to be top Mm -hmm. down from us. No. So you're going to have to call in right now. This is an alternative education. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, phone in now if you're out there. Uh,
1: But we'll also go into a little bit of the philosophies of Montessori schools or or the alternative schools as well. So you can learn a little bit about them as we have in doing some research.
0: Yeah. I didn't know much about any of these. Hmm.
1: Uh, but as we do on this podcast, we also do a seg- segment called News Just In, where we start off by looking at some of the freshest science news that has come out. But
0: first, top of the hour,
1: top oh, even before that. Even before you sa- that, are you saying there's something we do before that? A little well, chit
0: chat. You got any any news? Anything happening?
1: Um, well, I've become even more addicted to online poker, but that's not
0: a. Uh, no, we should talk about that. Really? Are you up or down?
1: Um, was up and then decided. Because to- we
0: last spoke about a month ago about this, you were. I no, so no. I, were...
1: I, I had I put in fifty Australian bucks, yeah. and uh,
0: that's your whole kitty. Your whole investment is fifty dollars. Was
1: fifty bucks, and then I, I put it up to about maybe like 400, 450 bucks. Like actually doing pretty well. And then I decided that this is a terrible habit to get into. Like this is really not good where this goes. Yeah. And well, so, no, what
0: making money? No, this is over. <laughs> this is over like
1: a good couple of months. Like yeah. This is yeah. Let's they call get... they call it the grind in the biz. They call it the grind. 50
0: bucks to 500 bucks. That's it's not, not bad, not right? Bad margins. I think I'm playing I'm
1: idiots, but like, and as soon as I go into the higher <laughs> levels, like playing sort of $20 tournaments, $50 tournaments, mm-hmm. I start getting schooled pretty quickly. Now, so. You
0: do know that you're talking to a regular Danny Ocean, right? When it comes to gambling. I don't understand that reference. Ocean's 11. Go on. <laughs> no, I know that one. Okay. So wait. <laughs> I'm a bit of a shark myself. No, you know that, not. don't you? I am. You know that I'm, I'm up on the house in Vegas right now? How does that work? Well, I uh, put $10 into a poker machine.
1: I thought you were going to say you put, you put $10 at the canteen and got a lunch. <laughs> no,
0: I put $10. That's a win, number yeah. one. <laughs> Some call that gambling because yeah. you never know what you're going to get. You <laughs> yeah. might get a dud. You know, you get a good meal. You might get a free trip to hospital after that <laughs> as well. Get, exactly. No, you know, I, I, I think I put 10 bucks into, uh, into a slot machine in Vegas a couple years ago. This is about, actually, yeah, 10 years ago exactly. Mm. And um, I think I won like 5 bucks on it. So you're up five. So I, so I, I cashed out right yep. away, obviously, because you got to quit with your head. That's it. That's, that's what, what, they, what they, say, they tell you. Right? And so basically, I'm not allowed to even gamble anymore, I think, in Vegas. My, fo- my photo is up at all the casinos because they don't want me to play there because <laughs> I'm a guaranteed loss for them the, right now. <laughs> right? So yeah. I walk up there. They're like, nice try, kid. Get out of here. We don't need your money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my money's no good there anymore. Wow. I can't play. You're, so you're, you're a perfect winner, really. I'm a perfect winner, right? So I'm up on the house, which is so rare. Let's talk science. This is a science podcast. This is a science Let's
1: podcast. Let's do uh, News Just In. You ready to get some news thrown at you? Um, yeah. Hit All me. right. Theme music. I actually don't have yet. Like, this is where we insert the theme music that's non-existent. All right. So, first up, this one comes care of uh, listener, Karen. Thanks for uh, giving me a private message. Karen with, with a C. And a Y. Um, mm-hmm. Elderberries can fight the flu. I don't believe it. No, nor should you. Because this is a, a study that came out of Sydney university. My university
0: and mine you went to oh yeah that's true My phd it's through sydney, Uni. sydney I'm, university i'm uh, i'm bi-coastal when it comes to education tertiary education
1: basically they uh brought out a study this was probably a few months ago mm-hmm. saying that um um elderberries can help fight the flu elderberries
0: what are elderberries
1: actually you know what despite me looking up this this piece of research yeah. i didn't actually research what elderberry if, elderberries if you, have you ever are. had one uh, no, I'm looking it up right now. No, I don't think I have had an elderberry.
0: And what's funny is oftentimes these studies, right, are based on old remedies or kind of, you know, um, mm. where someone's like, oh, you know, if you're sick, have some chicken soup or, um, and they'd look into some of the, you know, amino acids that are found in chicken soup and see if any of those actually do have some sort of, you know, a symptomatic or antiviral activity right mm. and they'd be like oh yeah look one of these one of the catechins in in chicken or in chicken broth seems to actually have whatever or vitamin c right they'd be like you know citric acid has a something something mm. elderberries i've never heard of someone saying oh if you're sick oh you should have a handful of elderberries, elderberries. yeah so that's an interesting one just all kind of off the bat where does that come from
1: i feel like it's people getting just sort of dazed by that word elder in there it just sounds like there's so much wisdom inside the berry to me it sounds kind of swiss Elderberries. Well, it's called the Sambucus. It's a genus of flowering plants in the family Adoxaceae or something. The the uh, various species are commonly called elder or elderberry.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, formerly placed in the honeysuckle family, blah, 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 blah. Not that no, but that was a mistake. Anyway, so the, the, the actual, um, the study, pro- well, showed that elderberries help fight, fight the flu. Um, yeah. The problem was...
0: Well, just. The- this did the study show that, or that's what Sydney Uni said in their press release?
1: No, that's what the study showed. That's what the study showed. Um, and the problem was, it was part funded by this conglomerate called Farm Care that actually creates P-H-A-R-M elderberry A-R-M juice. Pharm care, not yeah, for, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Pharm. You've done some reading, mm-hmm. um, and I can read. It had one of the employees was was actually one of the researchers on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, now that was kind of in in the actual. Um, the research itself that was like they actually said they, that they said
0: you do have to do to declare, declare your um you know your, your your funding and your conflicts yeah but, but what was funny was what they said because i read that as well yeah and um student uni in their in their kind of uh response press release said yes we did declare our our conflicts and our, our we have financial disclosure but we don't believe that biased our results or our research at all it's yeah. like dude you had you had a company shill on your research team, and you're yeah. like, "I don't think that had anything to That's do not with a problem. our." No,
1: nope. <laughs> but here's so this is the thing. This is why they found that it was, and this has popped up in a previous episode we've done. I can't quite remember. Maybe you can help me. Mm-hmm. But um, it basically involved dosing human cells in a lab with concentrated elderberry juice. Um, so there was no tests done in humans. No tests even done on mice or anything like that. So this is all like in vitro testing, yeah. which. The... I
0: think we talked about this a little bit with the turmeric episode. That's right, turmeric. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where the a lot of the studies were based on um, in vitro. Yep. kind of research, which has gotten you can so just remind our remind our listeners in vitro in in vitro means that you have it's cells in a petri dish. Yep, basically instead of actually doing it in vivo, which is you're doing it in a live animal. Right, and so one of the big differences. I mean, there's many differences. Um, but number one, you're taking usually like a, I guess like a cell monoculture. So you're taking just one type of cell that's been expanded into this Petri dish. So it's totally not working with any other cells, organs, any other physiological processes which might break down this chemical. So for example, I mean, you take something in your mouth and it gets destroyed by, you know, the digestion process or processed by your liver before it gets a chance to do anything. There's lots of reasons why just eating something or taking something into your body may never even reach the cells. Right. Or if it does in such a small dose. Or to get the dose you would want, you, you need to be eating it all day long. It would possibly kill you for other reasons, right? Yeah. And so when you do these in vitro studies, you can just dose just these cells generalize. with as much yeah. as you want. You basically kill the... You can give so much of something that's otherwise benign that you could just totally kill the cells, you know, and or, or kill off whatever you want. But it doesn't mean you could do that in real life. Mm. It's got, so it's... In vitro studies are useful as screening tools sometimes to be like, okay, so this might do something, this does nothing at all. Before yep. you go into looking at the doses and whether or not it can actually have any effect at all physiologically, it's, sort of, it's usually, like I say, yeah, it's just kind of a screening test.
1: Well, I, th- I think Sydney Uni got panned because of their sort of hyperbolic titling of this yeah. paper because they were like, elderberries helps fight the, the flu, essentially, yeah, they, right? They, so they, they, that was. I don't
0: think they didn't even say, like, elderberries may help no, no, and they oftentimes like, that's what, even like even in uh, in vivo or even human studies will often sort of take the road of something may do something mm. and they'll be like no our evidence suggests that there may be an effect of this and, and they were like and they'll no. put that, nope we're going straight yeah, <laughs> we're going for it yeah. nope <laughs> we're saying it <laughs> we're calling it live now elderberries cure the cold
1: yeah but <laughs> the, the 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 wash up of all this was that they had to take the take it down, essentially. They yeah. rescinded their research and said, yeah, sorry, we, <laughs> we kind of fucked up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean... Which is pretty embarrassing, to be honest with it's, you. Like, it's really bad science. Yeah.
0: Like... Um, well, speaking of bad science... And they, did they even compare elderberries to something else? I don't know. I didn't
1: actually look at the... So, this is, this is bad research of bad science. You, you which abstract, is, brass. I looked at the You're article r- on the...
0: Sineunis. Sineunis, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, yeah. Not, not even the abstract.
1: But, well, to be fair, because it was taken down, yeah. we can't find it anymore, yeah. but... Still. Hey, look,
0: and it is nice for people to apologize and to sort of um, retract articles, right? Which is we've spoken about this before as well. When science is disproven, yeah, um, usually those you articles. Double down. No, but usually articles stay out there. Oh yeah, yeah, right in the public domain, and people can keep on referencing that because no one knows that article was, you know. You might make a formal apology in, in, a, in, a, in another publication or you know in the editor's remark in a future publication for that paper but oftentimes that journal article just stays published out there right yeah ready, to, al- ready to be cited doesn't to, always uh, get yeah. retracted doesn't always have a proviso at the beginning saying here's the article but we actually found subsequently that this was you know probably not particularly valid um so it's nice for them to actually withdraw it so we can't hmm. access it if that's what they've done
1: uh, well, the second news just in I've got for you, it's it's not really a complete one because um, I it didn't seem like it was a very good paper, to be honest. I had a quick look at it. But uh, effects of regulating intestinal microbiota on anxiety symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a systematic review of um, a lot of RCTs, random control trials, randomized mm-hmm. control trials, um, looking at the microbiome and how that affects.
0: No, microbiome. If I hear that word one more I time, know, right? I swear to God.
1: Microbiota? Microbiota. And how that affects anxiety symptoms um and so basically they looked at 21 studies uh, 14 of them had probiotics as interventions mm-hmm. um what's a probiotic give me the the, the basics on what a
0: probiotic I think is. a probiotic is like um it's usually some sort of uh it's a bacterial culture which right. you can ingest which is sort of a meant to work with you instead of against you so it doesn't actually it's a it's a positive colonization so you take a probiotic and sort of helps you sort of recolonize your gut with healthy bacteria, Those <coughs> mm. bacteria are... Now, we, we use bacteria largely for, to help us with digestion and things like that, right? Mm. So some bacteria is very bad for us. It's pathogenic. It's not good. We try to fight it. Other bacteria we kind of work in harmony with. And mm. so probiotics, I well, believe, that- are just usually strains of... If it's your cult, for example, yeah. which is probiotic, it's the Sherota strain of acidophilus. If, if my memory like K, of the, the kci shirota strain yeah i believe if, yeah. if my memory of the uh the commercial was, yeah. serves me right
1: uh, the old shirota strain the i'm Chirota waiting strain. i'm waiting for messina to have a occult flavor where's there like i've y-
0: only ever had like a sip of occult have you had it it's great you, okay right <laughs> i really like it okay i've been told it tastes like breast milk interesting yeah well
1: my memory doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't gasp back that far yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is when I tried my mate's <laughs> press a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, so basically it, it, it was showing that there was quite a deal of evidence um, of essentially um, these microbiota affecting anxiety symptoms. So anxiety could be managed mm-hmm. by managing the microbiota in the gut. hmm and it deals with a lot of the, the, the gut-brain axis. Yep. Remember, that's popped up a We've couple times before. We've spoken about that a couple of times, yeah. Um, and so, this, this seems a bit kind of like nebulous and not really like hard science-y, but it's popping up kind of quite a bit.
0: Well, people say that the the neural net around the stomach, right? The uh, the complex of nerves they kind of encircle and control the stomach It's very, very rich mm. and is like second only to the brain in terms of complexity in the human body. Yep. Um, and obviously, like all things, the brain does communicate with that complex of nerves. So there's no reason why the functions of one wouldn't affect the other, mm. right? Some people think of it as like a second brain in a way. Um, so the, the idea of kind of trusting your gut, you know... Is more than just... It's, some yeah, kind of- it's... Makes, it actually makes more sense than people trusting their heart, right? Because there actually seems to be more going on around the gut um, in terms of the kind of neural complexity than there is around the heart, which is actually a reasonably simple kind of organ for what well, it
1: does. I, Well, actually, there was some study where the... Well, I don't know if this was a study or just an anecdote either way, where there was a heart transplant. And as part of the transplant, the, the transplant E... Recipient. Recipient. Yeah. Um, actually started remembering things from... The life of the transplant. Err. Well, I've so there so was some <laughs> kind of neural memory-based transfer through the heart, kind of thing. Well, so the, the neurons that I remember. I don't know if that's bullshit. I don't I, know. I, I like I, it. Those like stories it. have been around for a long time, <laughs> yeah. and I
0: haven't actually. We should look into the science of that maybe next time because I'm actually curious because I remember watching like Oprah when I was, or Ricky Lake or something when yeah. I was like you know a teenager. Ricky Lake, that's a good one. Yeah. Right. Donahue? Um, Donahue. So, like, what was one of those shows? We talked, it was like, you know, yeah. transplant recipients talking about the things they inherited from their donors, you know, like sudden cravings for something. And then they'd have the family of the usually dead donor. Yeah. Who'd be there, be like, oh my God, you know, Stephen loved rice <laughs> yeah. bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, all of a sudden, after the transplant, I woke up and. First thing I wanted was like a bowl of rice, Rice Krispies, and and, you know there'd be those kinds of stories. Or I started doing, I started you know jogging for the first time in my life, and I hated jogging before. They'd be like, you know, Melinda was killed. You know, while she was jogging or something, yeah. you know, she was an avid jogger. And so you had the, all these kind of these fairly sort of spiritual, mystical stories about these inherited traits. How Jason was really
1: into cocaine as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not me. All of a sudden, yeah, exactly, I became a raging cocaine addict. Yeah. <laughs> and Stephen died of a cocaine uh, overdose. <laughs> but the there is something kind of neat about that. And I guess my assumption is that families look for those trends in the recipients because in a way it kind of makes it feel as though their child loved one is still alive in a way Mm. you know that they've inherited there's there's a spark of their soul which has been kind of kind of living on whether it's real or not i don't know be interested in looking at the research and see if there is something about to that
1: yeah well this this one was uh, was uh, published in general psychiatry and it's open access as with a lot of the other articles we're gonna be dealing with today. Now we've talked a little bit about open access articles before yeah, you know, look, troubles in, with it, but, uh,
0: but- But there's also some things about that I quite like.
1: Oh yeah, the fact that I don't have to go behind it like it, through my Sydney it. Uni account to try to find it. Yeah. And it's kind of busy. And, and if, if I didn't have a Sydney Uni account, I wouldn't be able to f- see the whole article. But now if it's open access, I can, that's great.
0: I found a great uh, website recently that has, it's not completely up to date, but you can access almost any journal from, you know, beyond a certain point for free. They've been trolling and downloading all the major journal articles for the last, like, who knows how long. Right. And That's like the scientific undernet kind of thing. Yeah. I think it actually, it's quite a dark story. I think there was a Netflix movie about the guy that started the whole thing. But basically, you know, there's a kind of a hacker type guy who hacked into his university's library computers and got it to just start downloading as many articles as possible, because he thought that um, science should be free for everyone. Should be free, and it doesn't make sense for especially for a university to pay for it twice. Right, you pay to do the research, and then you paid access it again later. Yeah, like you do all this hard work, and then you offer it up on a silver platter to the uh, to the to the journals, and they take it and they charge you to look at it again. Yeah, it's insane, right? And so, anyway, so he, he kind of did a bit of a Robin Hood thing. He ended up committing suicide. Because he was tried for this whole business, right? For like treason, basically. Right, yeah. Um, and so he spent years sort of in court and facing like, a very long time in jail. And he ended up killing himself I think, like on the eve of his sentencing or something. Young kid. He was like 27 or 25 or something. Jesus. Well, he's one of those like Mark Zuckerberg type, you know, um, programming phenoms, you know. He was involved in Reddit. I think he was one of the guys that started Reddit and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, anyways. But the I guess the, the spirit of that lives on. They have this website which now has a compendium of these downloaded articles that you can access. Um, so everything is now becoming open access, and I'd be interested to see what happens with this. Like you know, as people start to kind of steal and take these articles, as music happened, is that going to cause a reform in the sort of publication? Um,
1: the system, like system. I mean, look, they're, they're damned if they do and they're damned if yeah. they don't. We, we've spoken
0: a bit about the our issues with the again the publication system. Well, we'll, we'll this large. will come up
1: when we look at the Montessori schools, the the evidence for that, because they're, they're basically all the articles I found were open access journals, mm-hmm. and to the to that sort of extent, it seems to me like they've got a, a reduced credibility for that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll explore that a little bit. In fact,
0: shall we get in? Oh, that, that reminds me, and I'll tell you this. Like on uh, live, I do have access to like every journal through my college. I can just give you my password if you wanted to look up other stuff. No, I've I'm you, also you go, at university. I can course, go straight go through to. Sydney Uni. Like, yeah, right.
1: we got no problems accessing all this stuff through academia. We have uni. access. Yeah. Okay. But the general public, if they want to know about
0: elderberries... I will give the general public my password <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for yeah. the Royal Australian Cultural Surgeons Login Library, yeah. and you guys can access whatever you want. So if you want to keep up to date with what we're talking about, you can just... You can just, hit,
1: us, hit us up. For, <laughs> at gmail.com just, Yeah. Send
0: me an email, and I'll send you my password. Yeah. <laughs> which I change every few weeks because I forget it all the time. I have to reset it like every other password I have. Good. Um, yeah, so this is interesting, the, the, the microbiome of the stomach, um, kind of the communication between the vagus nerve of sort of the stomach and the brain. Um, we have spoken, I think, also a bit about, there have been some good mice studies where they've done either some snipping of the nerve, the major nerve that communicates between the stomach and the brain Um, and looking at different diets I think as well in the context of that and they have found there to be behavioral differences I think in terms of I think they looked at some markers of depression in the mice or anxiety and they can you know I guess how much the mice walks in a circle or does something Hmm. they can tell and
1: completely anecdotally and I've shared this before but like I've noticed diet totally affects my levels of stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff in a a major
0: way Um, so I mean look whatever
1: so take it from me, this uh, this must be true. But have you, uh, nonetheless.
0: Have you ever gone on a trial of probiotics? Uh, You've gut issues sometimes.
1: That's <laughs> true. Thank you. Well. Uh, it's true. Uh, yeah, I've, look, I've, I've, I've experimented with various things. Not so much probiotics, not really, like in terms of some kind of diet that involves it in a heavy way. But yeah, I would have some yogurt and I'd have some sauerkraut, but I'd, not in a... Oh, sauerkraut's so awful.
0: I actually don't mind sauerkraut. Kimchi greater than or equal to sauerkraut. I agree with that statement, but right. sauerkraut's not bad. You can have kimchi for breakfast, you can have for lunch, dinner obviously.
1: All right, let's do it. Should we should we go into the main the main event, the main course? I think we should. Alternative schooling. Alternative after this schooling. <laughs> alternative schooling after this short break. we're talking about alternative schools and the effects the alternative schools have on the long-term development and health and well-being of students. Uh, we're looking particularly at Montessori and Steiner schools, which are the two sort of main players, particularly in Australia, of mm-hmm. the alternative schooling system. So first, Justin. Yes. You've actually been to, you were at a Montessori school or was I it am, a Steiner school?
0: I was Montessori. I am the product of, a, of an early childhood Montessori education.
1: Um, so, maybe you can. Did you have any recollect before I go into what these schools kind of are and their philosophies? Yeah, so any recollections you can share? Oh, no, yeah. So, I, was,
0: I, 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 I guess for me, it was preschool. Yep. I was in the state, we were living in the States at mm-hmm. the time. So, I guess I was like um, four. Like, yeah, I think because I think you go to kindergarten grade five, roughly. I think yep. I was four years old. And that is sort of, the, I think, the sweet spot for Montessori education because sort of it's a lot of it's like pre K mm-hmm. education. Sort of the very the fertile crescent of, uh, of of childhood learning. My memories. I was trying to kind of peruse my memories, parse them as I was reading about Montessori to try and kind of see if that jives. I got quite a few memories of it. I remember a lot of playtime. I remember uh, I remember snacks. <laughs> nap
1: times. Yeah. I remember all these things and I didn't yeah, go to one of exactly. those
0: <laughs> Do I remember anything that was unique to Montessori? Don't know because I only went to one preschool <laughs> okay. so well, I don't know. But, um, I'll nip
1: that in the bud and just kind of give you the, the, the rundown of what Montessori yeah. is all about Now, Maria Montessori, um, basically, Montessori. Yeah, it, it basically started in Rome in 1909 mm-hmm. um, and basically the, the premise behind it is that children have an innate path to psychological development. So the idea that we have in the more traditional schooling is that we've got this sort of top down. We know what's best for the kids, yeah. and we're going to.
0: And do- without us, you won't learn anything. We need a structure of learning. Otherwise, you will just be a dunce for your whole life.
1: That's right. Right. And um, basically, this principle from Montessori is that education should be more child focused, and basically increasing complexity when the child's ready. Mm-hmm. If the child's not ready to do, whatever. Trigonometry, calculus. Yeah. <laughs> then they're not doing it. And you actually tailor your teaching to each individual child as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have four... They talk about four planes of development. So, they go 0 to 6, yeah. um, like. 6 to 12, 12 to 18, 18 to 24. Yeah. And um, in my experience, having visited a Montessori school just recently, um, they actually have kids in three-year blocks. So, you actually you don't go to your year one class, your year yeah. two class... There's the um, kindergartens year one and year two all together. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Actually, sorry, I think it's one, two, and three all together and the four, five, and six are all together. So there's actually only...
0: Which is not unlike our (laughs) shared split schooling experience, right?
1: (laughs) I guess that's quite true. But at the same time, the benefits theoretically at least are that you have this sort of more of a cross-sectional social, not experiment, social experience going Mm -hmm. on where the older kids can help the younger kids. The younger kids can kind of look at up to the older kids yeah. and you kind of it's more um collaborative collaborative that's right and certainly has and i guess
0: a- also because i know that they don't like a lot of these alternative systems don't focus on um on testing mm. which means that they're they don't have sort of a hard matriculation that's right cut off it means that you have these standardized tests really, standardized testing you don't is on have the nose schooling yet. one year you have schooling three years right so every Every, the quanta of schooling is a three year period where you kind of have three years to learn the three years material in its own way, right? Yeah. Rather than being the chunking it into these one year barriers, and which is kind of interesting, right? Mm. You have three years to figure out that stuff you need to learn in that time and just get it done.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing too that they they promote as well is the idea of responsibility and autonomy in the kids. And having experienced the Montessori school, going to see it, mm-hmm. um, th- there was real differences in that, like we we were observing as student teachers ourselves yep. we were sitting in the back sort of observing the class and the kid kids would come up and be like would you like a cup of coffee kind of thing and, then, and they had like in the classroom like actual glasses and you know hot teapots and that kind of stuff and the kids these are like you know year, year two year three kids are yep. totally allowed to go and do all this stuff. I mean, it's not like, there's not plastic cups yeah. and the, the teacher's just sitting there letting them do it and, and there was another kid that was
0: training to be waiters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but I'm just showing you the, yeah. the, the yeah, autonomy yeah, yeah. of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was a kid that was try, like, trying to pick up this huge like puzzle thing and try to fit it into a drawer and this kid was tiny and having a real struggling with it yeah. and the teacher, like as opposed to just trying to help him or was like, no, you're, you're strong, you can do it kind of thing and he was really struggling and the teacher was just letting him go and do it. Did he do and, it? and yeah he did it eventually okay, and, and I definitely see just from my own personal standpoint like real benefits out of that mentality sure. from doing that yeah whether that translates scientifically into the benefit to that child later on he, maybe he's more like self actualized is he more oh, confident that, that's a is he more word. I know right well this is what we're Absolutely. going to be looking at um there's two there's 20,000 schools Montessori schools worldwide mm-hmm. now so it's a big deal and 300 are in Australia mm-hmm um, i've seen and, them
0: i feel as i've seen them pop up here a lot more in the last five years
1: well it's beca- it's a huge thing and the, i
0: never used to see them now there's one I, mean, I drove by one last night down in um sort of cockle bay wharf area down towards or yep around there well they're
1: coming man like and high schools are coming as well because as a secondary high school teacher in training mm-hmm. currently we are getting indoctrinated into this like anti-behavior management so you're not, tr- you're not to scold the children. You're not to praise the children. Yeah. The children just be children. Mm-hmm. And you are just to, you know, be their kind foster. of... Yeah, foster their own independence and their own individuality. Do you right? know
0: what Redham is? Redham House. School, yeah. Yeah. What That's not teaching foster. style is that? No, but it is an alternative teaching style that was started by its founder. I didn't know that. Who's still the president of the school or principal or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, it's something like a Montessori type, I think. Education. Interesting.
1: Well, there's also the Steiner schools as well. Are They're also called Waldorf schools. Yeah. So you've heard so, of those?
0: Well, yeah. So i heard about them probably in the last 10 years. I never heard of Steiner schools before that. Waldorf, I think I have heard of. Don't know if I knew it, it was a teaching style. Yeah. Um, well, well, I've
1: heard on good authority from people who have gone to Steiner schools that yeah. the philosophy, they get lumped in with Montessori and the philosophies are not necessarily the same, but they're, they're in the same ballpark. Yeah. But uh, certainly there are the distinctions between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, Waldorf was introduced in Germany in 1919, so this actually came later, and there's decidedly less of these schools around, 1,200 of them worldwide as opposed to oh, wow. 20,000 Montessori.
0: There's uh, one down in Chinatown, I know that.
1: Well, there's 40 in Australia, yeah. So basically, the Waldorf pedagogy um, takes a non-interventionalist approach to learning, continuing that academic skills emerge as the child is ready. So it's kind of, that's the similar part to Montessori.
0: Did you read the other thing, that what, what philosophy it's based on?
1: The Anthroposophy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you read about that? A little bit. Maybe we can talk briefly yeah, about Anthroposophy. Is that, am I my that right? Anthro- anthro- yeah, Anthroposophy. Uh, so this is one of the founding principles of Waldorf, even though in the schools currently it's not necessarily practiced or evident. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Anthroposophy. And it's often um, termed as the wisdom of humankind.
0: Yeah.
1: I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, your eyebrow is raised. Um, so Acu- basically, it offers a path to the self-development of a child, resting on the assumption that a non-material or spiritual universe Interpenetrates and informs the material one. Yeah. So I read that straight from the definition there. But... Yeah,
0: that, I, I had to read that about five times to get my head around it. And if you read about anthro-sophism. Yeah. Is that right? Anthro.
1: Well, this is anthroposophy.
0: Anthropos- anthrop... Anthroposophism. Anthroposophism. Yeah. Um, anthro meaning human and sophos meaning wisdom, mm-hmm. I believe. Um what Steiner was proposing was that there is in fact a spiritual world that is real and arguably tangible in its own way, but that humans can be trained to have a rational relationship, an observable relationship with that spiritual world. Hmm. So he, he believed in a, like, I think no, um, um, a, a true spirit, a reincarnation spirit, a, you know, the, uh, the, permanence of the spirit world mm-hmm. um, and believe that through observation or trained observation, we can interact with that world and observe it in a way that is as rational as anything you can observe in the physical world. Right. Um, and that is where he kind of lost me. Yeah. Uh, it, it, right. To me, I
1: kind of glossed over a lot of it because I'm like, this is it, this, it this sort of pseudo spirituality. Of... That...
0: Yeah. W- and what it reminded me a lot of reading it. And, and when you read about the schooling, which I did briefly, was that he does have theories about um, education and childhood development um, and teaching and learning. And a lot of those actually are based on like childhood psychology research. And some of it actually um, preempts a lot of the conclusions that came many years later as well. Mm. So he was actually fairly, um, very cluey about the kind of, how kids learn and how they should learn. Well, so Montessori really as well. Montessori. And Montessori too. Yeah. So they both. I think she, got a, of, she
1: won a Nobel prize. She won a few Nobel prizes or something. No, yeah. So both of them
0: prize. really sort of, again, preempted a lot of the research that came later just through intuition and observation. I mean, she did work. Montessori worked um, heavily with people who were, um, I guess at the time, insane hmm. in asylums and also watched a lot of children developing and made these sort of assumptions and these, these pillars of her teaching uh, based on her observations. So there is something fairly empirical about how she came to her conclusions. It mm. wasn't just gut feeling, which we don't disagree with either. Not Here on Jeremy's Iron. <laughs> no. um, but Steiner, they said the schooling seems to be a re- very reasonable way to teach people stuff. And that this idea of spirituality and the tangible or the observable spirit world doesn't really come into the teaching, apparently. And they said that largely people who go through Steiner schools or Waldorf schools may never come in contact with or those even know I, that was part of it no so it's kind of it's like behind the curtain it's it just kind of like Scientology exactly yeah so that's what I was going to say it yeah. reminded me so much of Scientology where it's like you have the crazy ideas behind Scientology but then you have the practical side of it if you actually look at the practical side of Scientology it's not that crazy like what you do on a day to day basis right. is this idea of auditing right it's just basically a way of clearing your psyche clearing your your conscience right Yeah. where you go and you basically do a lie detector test and they look at you and they can they, the lie detectors work by detecting stress because you're sweating or whatever else, right? They use the exact same thing. Their e meter is just like a lie detector. Yeah. And you hold on to these metal things. It's a galvanic skin response. It just detects conduction in your hands the more you sweat. And they ask you questions. And if you. Do they have
1: to make it so, like,
0: dystopian and sort of science? like Well, the thing is, if they, if they and, just kept oh it, like. Yeah. The science of it, it's actually very reasonable, right? Because what you do is, it's like going to therapy. It's
1: like meditation and kind of self-reflection. Well, and... say,
0: imagine going to, to a therapist, a psychologist or psychiatrist, and them asking you questions. Instead of you, them having just to trust that you're telling the truth or whatever else, they can ask you a question. They can get a sense of whether or not you are have high levels of anxiety. And then they, can, they can probe that area a little bit more, right? And if something comes up with a no, no thing, oh, cool. Then you're cool with that. And then if they can ask you about your parents or your rusty. Your, uh, <laughs> Um, they ask you about something that is kind of high anxiety. You can work through that over the course of a period of you know weeks or months, and you can actually see a change in their response, and maybe see if you're actually getting a, an actual measurable change in someone's anxiety levels. Sort Whatever. Of. So I think yeah. that's all pretty cool. That's totally fine. So and then you find out that the whole background is about Thetans and <laughs> aliens and alien spirits, and you're like, well, this is making me. What's the connection between these two things, right? But um, that's
1: not. You can't make that analogy with the Steiner school. Sure, well, him, I think you but,
0: can. Like this guy has a fairly sort of very good scientific basis to what he's doing in terms yeah. of his education. L. ron Steiner. Yeah. L. Ron, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then but at the same time his whole the impetus to do the whole thing came from trying to figure out a way to interact with the spirit world. And he doesn't really tell you about that at all, but it's like the behind the wow. curtain. So I thought the parallels were really really strong between the two. Very interesting, right?
1: But quite almost unanimously the the people that I know that have gone to Steiner schools loved it yeah and would always say i would like to send my children to sign mm-hmm. at steiner schools and stuff so, so i mean c- clearly the effect on them is that they they you know um, from what i read it's believe awesome. the hype
0: yeah <clears throat> i thought i sounded pretty good
1: yeah so let's have a look now at some of the studies that look into the long-term effects of this type of schooling on students mm-hmm. um, i've got a couple of studies to, to look through and then we'll also look at a sort of more negative one as well mm. about the kinds of, um, uh, what, what's that, vaccine refusal and how that proliferates within some of these schools as well. So that's sort of hyper-progressivism in these types of alternative schools. So the first article I've got here is um, an open access article from PLOS One, public library of science. Yeah, look. No. Um, it's called The Effect of Attending Steiner Schools During Childhood on Health and Adulthood, mm-hmm. a Multi sector a multi-center cross-sectional study by Fisher et al. And we'll put up all these links is up on it. Is
0: the Fisher test?
1: Uh, no, there's a C in this, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Okay. Um, so yeah, as we'll put the links to all the research we talk about on the show up on- uh, The show notes. On, on the show notes. So if you just look in, just Google us, Jeremy's Iron Podcast, you'll find
0: it. We're a real podcast.
1: Yeah. So in this one, we've analyzed, this is quite a-, a good study in terms of the actual putting it all together and the sample size is quite large because basically there's very there's scant evidence available for long-term effects of sc- of alternative schooling mm-hmm. and where there is they usually have very small sample sizes mm-hmm. so you kind of go
0: does that really generalize to and what are they looking at in terms of what are their outcomes
1: well here we go so this is um, 1136 former Steiner school students this mm-hmm. is in Berlin uh, in Germany mm-hmm uh, from berlin hanover nuremberg and stuttgart and they compare them to about 1800 former mainstream students so you've got people that this is cross-sectional so yep. you, you take them after they've been to the schools mm-hmm. and then you compare them on 16 different quality of life indicators mm-hmm. looking at things like dermatitis um mm. okay r- allergic rhinitis what's rhinitis i don't know what that like that is. Knows. right um asthma um pulmonary disease car- uh, cardiac arrhythmia um so heart stuff so interesting yeah
0: i I thought these would be like quality of life things or some
1: some hypertension um osteoarthritis rheumatism cancer diabetes interesting depression and multiple sclerosis so
0: okay i would not have expected those to be the outcomes yeah so they're basically looking at
1: like a lot of physical health stuff as well yeah um now they compared a decent sample size looking pretty good Mm mm-hmm one of the most interesting things, and as, as you do in these studies, you actually, before you present the results to say the effects of the schooling was this, you actually compare the two demographics of the schools. So you mm-hmm. basically say, here's the the demographics of the Steiner school yeah. students, and here's the demographics of the not. so that right away, the... that's my first question. Yeah,
0: right. So, because those things are linked to. Is there an association with people who attend Steiner schools who come from better families, or from healthier families, or from? You could imagine that there would be. Of course. So the the results. Smaller people might be more progressive and more willing to send their kids to a school like that with smaller Uh, class sizes, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely.
1: So these things are all technically adjusted for, inverted commas, in their results, which we'll get to in a second. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, let's look at that comparison between Mm -hmm. those two groups of people. Yeah. Um so this is good. I like this. Yeah, it's really interesting. So the A level achieved from the parents. So A level is like the essentially did they go to high school mm-hmm. and finish high school. I yeah. think that's what that means. A
0: levels is a very English thing. So yeah. What's
1: there's this from Germany? So from those students that went to Steiner schools, 79% of them had parents. No, no. So this is them achieving their A levels. Excuse me. So 80% of the students that went to Steiner schools achieved their A-levels were compared to 59% of non-Steiner schools. That's a huge discrepancy, right? Um, Smoking, the Steiner schools were a little bit less. Um, Fruits and veg and uh, eating five days a week, the Steiner schools was much more, 71% versus Mm -hmm. 58%. Exercise, Steiner schools, much more. Um, Parents with A-levels, 75% versus 42%.
0: Okay, so there's a selection bias involved in this for sure.
1: There is. So basically, uh, this essentially summarizing all this, um, oh, interesting, this is a good one too. Parents with spiritual and religious beliefs, mm. 58% versus
0: 41%. So 58 in the Steiner School. Steiner Schools. Which is, interesting. we know that there's a, that there's a spiritual sort of... That's right. ...underpinning S- to this whole thing. So okay.
1: you get the sense here that the students going to Steiner Schools come from families that are... Um, healthier. He- wealthier, healthier, well, certainly more health conscious, mm-hmm. um, probably... More probably, more intelligent as well.
0: That's that's a, that's a hot take, but okay.
1: Oh well, okay. That's probably a hot take, but but certainly they've gone to the more educated. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's fairly clear yep. as well. So that's interesting, and you have to adjust for these facts, as you were saying. You have to ju- adjust for those kinds of facts in your results, mm-hmm. and so here are the statistically significant effects. So if we were talking about those, they had sixteen different health factors they were looking at. Yeah um osteoarthritis was a significant reduction for the it was significantly less in the steiner school group yep um, so was allergic rhinitis back pain insomnia joint pain gastrointestinal symptoms and imbalance so there's a lot of these kind of symptoms that in my view look at the kind of um that might be associated with sort of Psychosomatism and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you mean like the anxiety prone people would suffer from back pain and they would suffer from all this kind of stuff?
0: But also back pain comes with certain kinds of work, right? True. Right. So more manual labor, which you would have you didn't graduate high school Mm -hmm. things like that or you'd be more likely to so there's a lot of associations which are there's some causality there's some stuff that just might be purely
1: but i think i think the main point for me in assessing this is look i'm I'm willing to believe it because it kind of these all to me sort of make sense in terms of the philosophy of steiner school and Mm -hmm. i can kind of like reason it through to say you've got these people who are maybe a little bit um you know less highly strung Less kind of prone to yep. these kinds of anxiety condition. Okay, yeah, but here's of my things. question for
0: you. With all this, so we talked about the demographics, right? In yes. Terms of the, the candidates for both these uh, these arms of the study. Yep. There are some very significant differences in the people who entered the study, who were chosen, right? And I understand that you can sort of control for these variables, but they sound like a very two very uneven study arms. I I just don't fully believe that you can control for that. That's exactly, I,
1: I agree with you hundred percent because you can take out these individual yeah. variables and you can control for, for example, the proportion of students that have <laughs> um, their parents achieving A-levels and all, yeah. you can get the quantitative measures mm-hmm. and control for them statistically. It's, it's really relatively easy to do and robust. Mm-hmm. And we can look at these results, which are adjusted and say, yep, that's adjusted for all these factors. So you don't have to worry about them. Yeah. But I agree with you 100% in that this probably indicates there's a whole lot of other stuff that's maybe kind of attitudes to life. And these are all self-reported questionnaires, by the way. This is it's how they determine- It's too sticky. With, with all these results, they determine a lot of this through self-reported yeah. like, questionnaires. So yeah. the, their, the tendency to respond yeah. posi- positively might also be well. affected by the yeah. mentality that comes along with Steiner schools and all this kind of stuff. Also, did they know it was about a Steiner school comparison? In which case, maybe they were probably more, you know... Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, Biased towards providing positive yeah. answers if yep. they went to a Steiner school. There's and way
0: you know. too many biases that can't be controlled for in this study. I like it. Yeah. I like what the outcomes were. I think it's really interesting. Hmm. I would have preferred, at the very least, to have seen um, sort of matched controls. Yes. Where if you have enough people... For example, they had 1,000 people in the, uh, in the Waldorf or the Steiner wing, yep. right, arm the study. They obviously had almost infinite number of, uh, of people, people that who went through the yeah. standard schooling system, yeah. right? Hundreds of thousands of kids. With a bit of work, they could have matched kids from the public schooling system who had similar parents and backgrounds. Yeah, that's right? true. That could and that's it. a lot more work to try and match those candidates, but that would have made for a much stronger study.
1: Right, but check this out. I'm glad you raised that because this will dovetail nicely into the next study that we're going to look at. Because mm-hmm. in the States, there are these Montessori schools. Uh, yeah, so this is a, a study about Montessori schools yeah. um, that happen in low SES, low socioeconomic areas, right? Mm-hmm. And enrollment in this is based on the lottery because a lot of students want to go in there and in sure. these low socioeconomic areas, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's actually a lottery. So you get this really nice randomization because the people applying for the lottery theoretically should be the same, whether they get into the school
0: or not. Except, again, there may be a um, a selection bias in terms of the people who are interested. The kind of parents in those areas who are aware of Montessori schools and the benefits of Montessori schools will be a different family than people who don't put their hand up at all for it.
1: Absolutely. But the randomization process that they go through here means Mm -hmm. that you can compare... And this is what they've done. They actually have 70 students that won the lottery yeah. versus 70 students that didn't win the lottery. But and who applied went, for it? Applied for it. Oh, okay, good. And good, then good. went to normal schools. That's awesome. So this is essentially, it's called an instrumental variable. It's like mm-hmm. y- you actually have a randomization that's occurred, not due to, for the purpose of the study, yeah. but for another reason, there's a yeah. nice randomization that's occurred. That's
0: perfect. Okay, that's what I want to see.
1: So this is quite interesting. Yeah. So this one's called Montessori Pre... So, Montessori Preschool elevates and equalizes child outcomes, a longitudinal study from 2017, appearing in Frontiers in Psychology, which is...
0: Frontier Psychologist. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Didn't even occur to me. Frontiers in Psychology um, from 2017. Now, um, the primary author is someone called Angeline Lillard. Now she is someone that has a long history, Dr. Angeline Lillard, that has a long history of studying Montessori stuff. She actually has like this book out, which is called um, "I Can't Find It." It's like one of the prime books on Montessori education. So the part of me is thinking,
0: like, Frontier Psychiatrist,
1: there's potentially (laughs) some kind of vested interest in this. But this is my totally cynical brain. I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. bias people away from the study. So. This study looks at um, Montessori preschoolers having completed the Montessori preschool and assessed over the next three years of their early schooling life. So this
0: is more or less my experience, right? This is Montessori preschool, right.
1: So you've got 70 Montessori students Mm -hmm. and 71 applicants to Montessori schools that didn't make it in because of the lottery. Awesome. And you're comparing these two groups. So, they basically, they said, over time, Montessori, the Montessori children fared better on measures of academic achievement, social understanding, and mastery orientation. And they also reported relatively more liking of scholastic tasks. Now, again, I'll put the link up on the show notes. Mm-hmm. But looking at some of the stuff, I had a, a quick look at the methods. And they have a lot of these non-standard tests that they're doing to assess whether their students are outperforming the non Montessori school students right. for example mastery orientation the way they assess mastery orientation is yeah. that they give they give the kids two types of puzzles Yeah, they give them a really easy puzzle to solve and they solve it yeah. then they give them another solve which is that the kids don't know but it's unsolvable and they try to do it and they, they, give, they give them two minutes and they say oh you, you're done um, and then they ask them oh which one would you like to continue with you, you can do now whichever one you want you can do another one like this or you can keep going with this one and the student essentially scores a point if they keep going with the hard one to show that they are um, interested in, the, in persistence, the challenge. right? Yeah. Um, so, it's, it's this kind of stuff where you kind of go, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Another one is about whether they like school or not. So, they're asked whether they like school.
0: Wouldn't it be interesting if a student was just like, I think this is unsolvable? I don't want to waste my time?
1: Well, exactly. <laughs> the, the, well, potentially... <laughs> the, give give me more.
0: The, give me more things I can actually. Don't give me busy work. Give me more jobs I can actually finish and move aside. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that? A, like that's a better manager managerial sort yeah. of. Like you I, know.
1: I guess I have my cynical hat on when I look at this stuff and I go,
0: "Kids, like I give him this two minutes. It's clearly unsolvable. Otherwise, I would have solved it by now." Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. There's another one about how well they actually like school. Yeah. And they were trying to show that the Montes- kids that had the Montessori preschool tend to like school a bit more.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but they were saying in there that most kids in the sort of year one, year two, they say they like school. If you ask a child of that age, do you like school? They go, yeah, school's fun, whatever, right? Yeah. And so what they did is they don't, like, didn't just look at whether they liked school. They compared it to how whether they like other things like movies and all this other stuff. So in my head, I'm thinking like, this is just a comparison of who likes movies the least. <laughs> do, you
0: know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Montessori <laughs> kids don't like movies?
1: Yeah, right? Weird. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's this kind of stuff where I'm... Part of me just—it's so hard. Perks up a little bit.
0: I'm like, well, it's just because look, it's really hard. I think they're obviously the randomization, their structure of the study is great, but coming up with outcome measures for four-year-olds is really hard. Yeah,
1: exactly. And this is where the whole issue of the success of Montessori schools and Steiner schools long term is vexed because you have such difficulty in actually tracing the like basically doing cause and effect studies to go, yeah. okay, this person's doing really well in life. That's because they had a Steiner school education 10 yeah. years ago. Like that's actually yeah. really difficult to do, not just in like mental arithmetic kind of thing, but it's actually really difficult to do statistically as well because you have all these intervening factors and biases and yeah. confounders and all this kind of
0: stuff Yeah, crap. and then you also have, at some point, people all get washed through... The university or the college system right yeah. so you go throughout that work and then you eventually whether you your schools have exams or tests or not eventually you all have to sit your sats in the states for example right yeah. which means that that's sort of the great washer as long as that's the barrier exam if you can get through your sats and everyone usually ends up preparing specifically for the sats by the end anyway yeah so you end up sitting there didactically learning the sat questions the styles all that kind of stuff you relearn for that test and then you all get just washed through the college system, right? Yeah. Um and then you hope that what the Steiner school or the Montessori school has done has prepared you to learn in a different way for that college system. Yes. I guess, right? But again, that ends up becoming like I said, very hard to measure. It is. And whether it's hard
1: or not, there's definitely just not that much out there. Like this yeah. I've got two studies that I thought were quite reasonable to talk about having looked at this for a couple like probably a couple hours i was trying to research Mm -hmm. stuff and it's hard to come by like this sort of evidence
0: do you think the challenge is the outcome measures to do it reliably or the fact there's far too many confounding variables for people who are enrolled in montessori and steiner schools oh definitely the confounding factors like you could come up with you know things like
1: iq scores or things like you know um you know, uh, income, all this kind of stuff, yeah. where you can the biases
0: involved in attending school, yeah, and, alone and, it's going to be enough to confuse that as the the results.
1: And particularly that first study we looked at, when we looked at the differences between the two groups yeah. and how they were just so different, mm-hmm. the, the the demographics of students that go to Steiner schools versus those that didn't. It's actually there are a whole bunch of other factors at play that might have already been on train before the student went to the yeah. Steiner school.
0: Now, and speaking, within my family, I'm the only one of the three boys who've gone to a Montessori preschool, and I think that my relationship with school was very different to the other two guys, in that I've always enjoyed school and learning, as as evidenced by the fact that I stayed in school until basically last year, (laughs) right? (laughs) So
1: that's what, 32 years after you started? (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly, right? Whereas the other guys basically couldn't get out fast enough and had a much harder time at school. Well, than I did. QAD. <laughs> That's it. It's Montessori. Yeah. But, but some of the things they do talk about, right, are are those outcomes, which is, you know, liking going to school. Um, and one of the things they could have done also, maybe as a measure for four-year-olds even, maybe not, is days of attendance missed, right? So you look for measures where it's not self-reported, but you yeah. do find something objective. Kids who don't want to go to school, or at least who aren't particularly interested in school might be more likely to take days off. Their parents might be more likely to take them out of school. They call mm-hmm. in sick. They they just don't have that. But again, is that because the parents don't care enough, or is the kid? I don't know. But that would be an objective measure. Yeah. Whether or not it's reliable. Um. But yeah. So within my family, certainly there is a difference between the guy who did go and the guys who didn't. But there's again I, far too much. Yeah. To that, uh, like, that's. Look,
1: I'm actually, despite me being quite cynical, not cynical, but I'm being quite critical of the research here. Mm-hmm. The philosophy for me actually syncs well with what I believe to be kind of true. Some of it probably not, but but on the whole, I'm kind of very much for that philosophy of student-centered stuff, less emphasis on standardized testing, less emphasis on top down shit. Yeah. Like I, I, in my guts, totally not scientifically, in my guts, I'm like, that seems... Right, that seems better
0: in your microbiome.
1: In my mic, in my microbiome, <laughs> yeah, I definitely your microbiome to that. is
0: jiving with this kind of education. Now, so when you finish your uh, your dip ed, would you see yourself going or trying to find a school that offered this kind of a program?
1: Uh, no, not necessarily, no, no, uh, that's not one of my criteria for trying to find a, a school. No, um,
0: but uh, but I don't think you'd be wrong to make that a criteria, right? I think it's. You know, no, if, well, if you drive if you feel that that is a more effective way of sort of molding the youth.
1: Well, this is quite interesting. We're, we're talking now about stuff that me in my teaching and learning class, and if there's anyone listening from that class, they would know that this is a discussion we have or have had over the last three or four weeks mm-hmm. at nauseum which is you know we're, we're essentially getting prepared as students to be Steiner school Montessori <laughs> school teachers, and we're going out into a system where mm-hmm. that's not the norm by any means, right? So, yeah. Um, I don't necessarily want to go into those types of schools, particularly because as a secondary school student, they don't even exist yet, really. Yeah. Some of those philosophies are getting kind of trans, transmuted into well, the, 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 um, normal, the normal school system. Yeah. But on the whole, schools have behavior management policies, schools have these kind of more traditional, yeah. kind of um, teacher down approaches yeah. to schooling with a, a small Sounds little like a twist. Scheme. Yeah, small little twists, you know that we don't we don't cane the students anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's still very much some of that student focus in there, but um, it's far from the Montessori approach in mainstream schooling in Australia at the moment. So
0: mm-hmm. now, some of the research I found doesn't look at long term outcomes, which is kind of what you found. It was looking at, again towards um, successful matriculation for either into kindergarten or out of high school. Yeah. Um, so looking at how. Usually, how prepared students were for, um, I guess, their SATs, or how prepared they were for, there's a series of like pre-kindergarten like preparedness tests to see if a kid is kind of cognitively ready for the rigors of kindergarten. <laughs> and they compared Jesus Montessori Christ. or Steiner kids to you know standard preschools, and I, the same thing for high school students, where they're prepared for their SATs, were they, were they did they have the knowledge it took to do well and everything. And they found that on the whole, it seems a lot of the studies showed that. Um, Steiner and Montessori kids were as or better prepared than conventional top-down mm. teaching methods. Whether, again, that pays off down the track in terms of their approach to learning, again, we don't know, but were certainly... They, was that adjusted for the demographic factors uh, exactly. that would predispose
1: We'd, those students to be better at school anyway? We don't anyway. know. It's
0: all the same issues are yeah. at play, right? But certainly, the they're not disadvantaged by it, it doesn't seem. No. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um so, although that do, that does but, fit, and in with there the, does seem to be some, you know, the traditional teaching methods, this top-down method, was really born out of economy, right? Which is the easiest way to teach a large number of people is to have one person in the front who just talks at them, and then you have of you left your own devices, and you, then you should get tested, right? It's a fairly faceless and economical way of teaching yep. the masses. There's no evidence base to that. It's just what works, right? Yeah. Now we certainly have, but before. Before and since the Montessori and Steiner methods have been around. We now have a lot more evidence on how people can learn and more, not such about, yeah, we have a lot of evidence about early childhood learning, right? And kind of conditioning and behavior and all that stuff. Um, And so all the Steiner and the Montessori schools are, are sort of evidence-based approaches to learning, right? We know more about how the brain works, about how children learn. Yeah. So is it safe to even call these alternative teaching? As opposed to just evidence-based teaching now, like, are this is is it really just moving with the times?
1: True. Well, they're alternative just in terms of the you, you know the commonality, right? Like yeah. alternative to the mainstream. Sure. So, but there's a sticking point about them being evidence-based, and we'll, we'll probably get to this because, given the lack of real, true scientific, like, well, long-term studies, it's not so much based not, on evidence, but I'm, it's based well, it's based on their like pre. Like their the, the biases and stuff, right? Well, like it's, it's based it's a on lot of-
0: the... It's, what I mean evidence-based, I don't mean evidence-based in terms of do they work. What I mean is they're based on evidence we know about childhood learning. So yes. they're looking at like Piaget and all these kinds of, you know, early childhood learning um, kind of foundational... P- yeah, yeah. Yeah, these foundational papers and research into childhood learning and development and they're kind of applying those principles to education, mm. kind of conventional education. And so in that sense, they're using some evidence about how people learn rather yeah. than just saying, well, we'll just put the information here and you yeah. can figure it out yourself. That's right. And so we've always done it this way. Yeah. So you're doing it this way. We'll, yep. I mean, we'll give you information and you just pick it up. Yep. Catch catch can. Um, it's not really it's not really about teaching in any way. It's just about presentation of information. Yeah. Um. So I I think that alternative is no longer fair. I think that it should just be it's like second wave education. Yeah. Right. Or, you know. I agree with that. I,
1: I don't think the alternative is the right way of... Which I, mean, I think it it's fine sense,
0: but... to be taught in a Steiner or Montessori approach and then be farmed out to, you know, quote-unquote conventional schools. And you say, well, that's not how it is. Well, you're just being taught a better way of teaching. Yeah. Right. A more holistic approach to teaching. Um, and one that seems to have some science behind it, at least in theory. Well, let's so get... I like... That's, that's my feeling so <laughs> far. But I'm, I don't, I'm not doing your course, so I don't know.
1: No, I, I'm with you. Um, I think my... My concern, and this is my sort of very scientific mindset, is that the science that supports this mm-hmm. doesn't justify the like the level of proof or the level of like evidence mm. doesn't support the fervor that we're being indoctrinated into. You okay. know what I mean? Like the, sure. th- that level of this is the only way to do it and if you do it the other way, you are harming the children and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And to me, there's still a lot of, there's a it bit of vitriol kind of, in the... Oh, very yeah. much. And, and to me, there's this feeling like um, a lot of a lot of the evidence is over... All of the softer evidence is overplayed mm-hmm. and any kind of disagreeing evidence yeah. is not even talked about and that kind of stuff. So I, I get the feeling yeah, that... Yeah,
0: look, it's, it's all very first principles type evidence. Eh. It's, it's not... I wouldn't say it's highly evidence-based, if that sounds right, in terms of results.
1: No, but but you're quite right in saying that it is evidence seeking at yeah. least do you know yeah. what i mean yeah, Which yeah. is and more, at least it's more trying more to use a foundation of that's that right
0: evidence, right um before we wrap up one well, more thing i want to mention yeah. you it sounds like you have something else well, to i've got another study to talk about oh because, do you oh. yeah
1: because this is all kind of leading into the idea that um there is this culture within these types of schools to get on this sort of um what's it called like a um you know, sort of a bi- like your own self-selection mm-hmm. and your community kind of forms this hyper progressivity. Yeah. Where Oh yeah, okay, that's these- right. The
0: um vaccination thing. Yeah.
1: So yeah. there's a study that is in the Medical Anthropology Quarterly from two thousand and fifteen. No, that's a good that's a good read. Yeah. Which is social cultivation of vaccine refusal and um Damn it, I think I've actually cut off the... I'll see if I can get the full title. But it's about um, yeah, vaccine res- refusal and um, inoculations, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. by uh, uh, Eliza J. Sobo et al. from 2015. So basically, there is a tendency to refuse, vaccine and, refuse vaccines, and that both predates enrollment in these schools, but also it is increased... Within the schools as well. So if you go to the school and you're previously were vaccinating your children, mm-hmm. you'll actually stop after you've That's done that in the school as well. So,
0: but is that only Steiner or also Montessori?
1: Um, good question. Uh, this is in Waldorf school, so Steiner. Yeah, so okay. Waldorf it makes Steiner, more sense yep. given
0: sort of a bit of the Steiner. Because what I was going to say was, and this would make sense, yeah. um, is that. One of the things I read about the Steiner philosophy or the schooling is that they're very good. And apparently, contrary to what you'd think for a school that's quite spiritual in its core, you know, and is about sort of these fairly kind of intangible objectives, um, they actually do quite well in science. So, when these students were um, evaluated for their preparedness for their science and science testing, Mm. they did quite well and they performed generally higher than their peers. Mm. So, they seem to have a very good approach to science and it's very um, uh, experiential. So the kids are kind of uh, encouraged to observe experiments and things like that and phenomena. And it's what they call a phenomenological approach, right? So the kids look at stuff and ask questions and try to figure out for themselves why things work and then they're kind of, you know, learn that way. But apparently what they've been teaching at the same time, so even though they seem to be very prepared for science and have very good scientific minds, the school has been teaching some very unscientific yeah, facts. If so, not in the
1: classroom, then certainly culturally. In no, the, no, very. Like, they've oh, said in the classroom.
0: Things. Oh, yeah. So they've said they, they they teach the idea of a of a permanent spirit, and they also apparently teach an idea. They, they teach their own theory of evolution that animals evolved from humans. Right. Yeah. So well, this is there's, interesting there's, because because there's a few things that are like just f- flying. For all they do right, they have a couple of these little weird catching points that just fly in the face of every accepted form of science they're not even like jiving with like creationism <laughs> yeah, yeah like, nope. this is their own thing oh evolution top down
1: they have these anthroposophical physicians who basically say that fevers and inflammations yeah so other like common childhood diseases help the body um, break down and extrude old or expired matter and contribute to cell renewable, renewal and growth as well as overall immune system strength yeah so that's in essence this is kind of like a window into just denying all sorts of Really, probably important medications when faced with these inflammations and all this kind of stuff, right?
0: Yeah, so they have some very weird ideas, don't they?
1: And and interestingly enough, European Waldorf schools um, have been identified as epidemiological epicenters for measles and other outbreaks. Interesting. So this is not without, this is not theoretical. These these kids are actually suffering diseases they probably need not.
0: I think I read that even, I think it might be Denmark has now banned Steiner schools. For those reasons that so they have they're like they're they're saying things that are just completely not true interesting and they're teaching kids i guess as good as they are you can't go around saying things that are not the not is preaching like old information i think a lot of american schools have been criticized for using old textbooks or have that are sort of um factual inaccuracies yeah uh, which is understandable sometimes it's deliberate sometimes it's accidental sometimes it's a matter of again just not having material that's up to date But they said that what's happening with the Steiner schools is totally like almost malicious in the sense that they're making things up and telling them to kids. And so... Well, interestingly
1: enough, our our episode we did on microwaves that came as um, inspiration from an old Steiner school student that I know is a friend Mm -hmm. who doesn't microwave stuff because she believes that it is damaging the food and also giving you cancer and all this kind of stuff, which is just absolutely disproven. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, they, they become this hotbed of, I don't know. How would you describe it? Like it's a hot, just this Fisherian runaway of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, this paper was looking at vaccine decision making and and basically was trying to break it down into whether it was confirmation bias, but they came up with this idea of it's this cultural cognition. So, um, what someone's networks is important. Um, in, in developing these ideas. And the irony is that when it's challenged, it only acts to strengthen the beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, they give evidence of this randomized control trial where um, information supporting vaccination was um, given to parents um, who are most against vaccination to begin with. And that they became even more so against vaccination when presented with scientific evidence for it, right? Even when they became to correctly understand that autism and vaccinated vaccination are unrelated. So they were still just like anti-vaccination. So it's interesting. Like you, you, you kind of...
0: Do you think that maybe, again, this is...
1: There's a re- actually, there's a really great quote, which you're going to love. I
0: wonder if, so I think if you teach kids from a phenomenological perspective, right? To observe things first, come up with your own hypotheses about it um, and then test them. That all is well and good in a controlled setting of school where you ultimately have to have um, real information to learn to, because they have to be able to sit an exam and talk about that at some point in their life. Right? Yeah. In high school where they gave most of the science, you have to be able to talk uh, reasonably about gravity or things like that because there is going to be a standardized test. that has Test of knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So you can kind of do all the hypothesizing you want in class about why something's mm-hmm. happened, but then the day a teacher is going to tell you what the actual answer was mm-hmm. about what, how that works. If there's no one there to tell you what the actual answer is at the end of what you're hypothesizing, and you tend to be led by, so again, this phenomenological, I know better, or I can figure this out from first principles, Interesting. you might be left to, when you're left to your own devices in the real world, you'll make your own conclusions based on observations and things that might seem, like this pseudoscience or things that seem on the surface to be reasonable. For example, yeah. radio, uh, microwaves are radiation, radiation is bad for you. Um, People get cancer. It's probably from the microwaves or, you know, or the cell phones or whatever else, right? And you may not be going to look for the answers because you're thinking, well, I'm running my own experiment. This is a phenomenological approach to learning something. I can observe and make up my own conclusions about it. There could be something to that. I think so too. And I feel like maybe
1: it's, maybe our trust in science is born of our mainstream teaching where we were 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 just taught we had to trust our teachers because
0: there was no other option right yeah you trust evidence someone's taught to you that it must be it must be true so
1: that hyper individualization that these schools without meaning to perhaps preach yeah putting too much power to the individual yeah you kind of go this doesn't sound right
0: it's it's not right yeah you know it doesn't make sense to me microwaves
1: uh, that's that's weird and it waves
0: that sounds pretty like I'm running my own thought experiment right now that's telling me that that causes cancer yeah I'm done So, that was one of the things I thought of when I was reading about, again, this phenomenological approach, which sounds awesome as a kid to be very involved in learning science and things like that. And sort of, you know, this um, to recapitulate all of the great experiments that scientists have done for the last couple hundred years. Um, But that only gets you so far. If you're not Isaac Newton, you know, you're not going to be coming up with the right conclusion necessarily if you're 14 years old and you're doing a gravity experiment, right? You may not figure it out yourself. And you can't trust that someone's going to leave high school and have the same ability to be a phenomenological learner as some of the great minds in history. Mm. Right?
1: Mm. I like it. I feel like that's a nice little conclusion. I think so. A, yeah.
0: a... and, and, and Montessori, by the way, doesn't have nearly as much of these criticisms. So uh, I do like some of the Steiner principles. They were pretty cool. But on balance, I think I'm probably a Montessori boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm did did you see much in the way of criticisms of Montessori? It didn't have many scandals, did it?
1: No, well, like I haven't looked too, too deep into it. But yep. also, having experienced it, like I, I I came away from that experience going, this looks pretty great. It looks pretty idea,
0: yeah. ideal for... And they got a sweet logo as well, right? I haven't... I haven't it's noticed. like the like, Olympic rings kind of. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I think that might do us. That might wrap up our little uh, show into alternative shuling. Should we get some lunch? Let's get some lunch.
0: Let's get some lunch. If you like the
1: show, uh, feel free to follow us on Jeremy's Iron... It is, uh, if you just type in Jeremy's Iron Podcast into Google, you'll find us. Alternatively, uh, we have a Facebook group, Jeremy's Iron Podcast.
0: And we're having a um, a meetup in St. Petersburg.
1: (laughs) If we get our visas sorted out.
0: In late July. So any Russian listeners out there, um, feel free to write in. We'll send you details about where we're going to be having our meetup. And we'll be signing, um, I guess zip drives with our podcast on them
1: that's exactly right <laughs> um if you've got any questions or things you, uh, future show ideas just jeremy's iron podcast at gmail.com is where you can um what did we say we're gonna up.
0: look into oh we'll, we'll talk a bit next week about inherited personality traits through organ transplantation sure, <laughs> sure. at least yeah. i think in the beginning maybe i don't know if there's enough meat for a whole episode but certainly we can talk about that maybe the news just in segment like, uh, right. yeah. good see you guys